You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to be in Psalm 119 tonight. Psalm 119, verse 57. I should probably mention, um, I don't mean to be disrespectful with an unshaven face. I'm usually, I like men to be clean shaven, or if you're going to have a beard, just do it. (laughs) But I'm kind of the anti-rebel this week, and uh, last Tuesday I've had a beard for about seven years, and I decided to shave it it off. And uh, like Samson, I wish not that the Spirit of the Lord (laughs) departed from me, and my uh, family did not approve uh, so in order to be kissed again by my wife, I'm beginning to regrow my hair, hair on my face here. Uh, so sorry you're caught in the middle of that. I don't mean to be disrespectful in the pulpit, but it's got to come back quickly. <clears throat> Psalm 119, I'm going to read, and then we'll pray and be seated. Psalm 119, verse 57 uh, through 64, we're going to read the whole stanza. <clears throat> the Bible says... Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet and and turned my excuse me, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Now listen to how he ends. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. Tonight, I'd like to share with you five biblical resolutions to overcoming hardship. Five biblical resolutions to overcoming hardships. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to this great church in this great part of this country. And God, if ever there was a time to describe our national state as a trial or a hardship, it would be now. And Lord, we need your word to get us through. Father, it is not just on a national scale that we endure trials and hardships. Every last one of us go through these times multiple times throughout our life. And if we're not prepared to face those times, they can wreak havoc. So I pray that we would equip ourselves tonight with your perfect word to prepare ourselves for such times as you have prepared for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Don't you love the 119th Psalm? Isn't it good? Several years ago, our church went through the 119th Psalm and... Uh, memorized it, and we also preached through that book to 
as we were memorizing it to really get a feel for what it's about. It, and it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. And nearly every verse, as you might know, in the 119th Psalm directly addresses the Word of God. And really, especially in the opening part of the book, David is describing why you should love God's Word. You should love God's Word. And if you needed a reason why, he gave us the longest chapter in the Bible to teach you some of those reasons. You look at the first stanza, 1 through 8, you should love God's Word because if you obey it, it will make you blessed. That's what it teaches. And if you, the second stanza, if you love God's Word, or you should love God's Word because it will cleanse you. I think we're all familiar with verse 9, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. It's another reason to love God's word. You love it and it cleanses you. You should love God's word because it will help you think the way God thinks in verses 17 through 24. You should love God's word because it can restore us when we've lost our way. And David just keeps on going on until he gets to 49 through 56 and he teaches us you ought to love God's word because it brings hope in hopeless times, doesn't it? Verse 49 says this, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. You know someone is going through a trial when they begin to talk about hope. Has that not been on our mind lately? at least on a national level? Looking for and grasping for any evidence or sign of hope, of recovery from where we find ourselves today. I, I, I'm not super old, <laughs> but it's unprecedented in my life. Never seen anything like it. And there is a struggle for hope right now on our national conscience that most of us have never seen. I was reading some statistics this afternoon, and those between the age of 19 and 29, two-thirds of them are fearful for democracy in our future. And it looks like they need to be. By the way, this is, this is a rabbit trail, but hopefully it's valuable. This is a good reason to appreciate the older men and women in any church because they have younger, uh, uh, they have experiences that the younger have not gone through. If I can speak to you of that seasoned generation, you are here to be a guiding light to the younger generation. This isn't even in the message, but I was talking to uh, a man in our church, 82, was a missionary in Spain for 42 years, and he's going through a recovery that's taking an extremely long time and he was feeling pretty downtrodden and pretty despondent today on the phone and he says pastor I don't know why I'm here I feel like God should just take me home and not that he was sad necessarily but it's like I don't have a purpose I'm ready to go why won't God just take me and I had to tell him brother Al you are here for me if for no one else You've experienced things I haven't gone through, and I need your guidance. And I, I love to hear from our older generation how this may be the first experience that we have had, but there have been things people have gone through, even in this country, 
where they can point back to and say, you know, God got us through this time. He'll get us through now. But would you agree with me once again that when people begin to talk about hope, it's usually because they're going through a trial? And that's how David opens up verse 49 in the previous stanza. He says again, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. I can relate to that. This is hard to even say, let alone think about, but for the first time in my life, I am not sure that my kids will grow up to know America as I once knew it, which is one of the reasons why we're traveling right now. I want them to see this great country untainted by the news and by what, what is going on in the world right now. But you do talk about hope when you go through trial. And we all go through trial, nationally or not. If, if things were great in the news, it would, not, it would not eliminate the fact that you have been and will go through trials. We all go through trials. But there is something unique about the trials expressed here beginning in verse 49. Something is missing. Something's missing. There's... No song of deliverance. There's, uh, I, I wish I would have wrote it down. It's in the 70s. I think it's Psalm 73, somewhere close to there, where David talks about being weary at the wicked and all their prosperity. But then it ends by saying, but then I went into the house of my God and I saw their end. That's the Matt paraphrase, but you're familiar, hopefully. There, there's a, uh, if I could say it, there's a song of deliverance. There's, there's a, a resolution to that struggle. But you're reading through these stand, stanzas, and in verse 49, David begins by saying, Lord, you've caused me to put my hope in your word, but he doesn't end it with, and then everything worked out. You understand what I mean? This stanza, 49 through 56, expresses the feelings of one in the midst of affliction with no hope in sight. The psalmist hopes in God's word, but how can we draw hope from God's word when we see no deliverance in sight? Well, the hope offered in this first stanza is really, it's for the mature believer. The one who has already previously put their hope in God's word, and because of past victories... When you're in present circumstances where you see no hope in sight, David turns and draws hope from the Word of God in how it's worked in his past. Does that make sense? Friend, you need victory consistently in your life from the Lord so that when trials come that do seem hopeless, you can be mature enough to draw on the hope he's already given in your life. That kind of hope, as in 49 through 56, requires us to remember the word, to remember it. It's got to be there first. Because not every trial ends with answers. But the mature believer can draw from the answers God has previously given. Then you come to verse 57, where our text is today, this evening, and it says... Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Could I 
say this, it takes a mature Christian to draw hope in hopeless times from God's word. That's what verse 49 says. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. That takes a mature attitude to draw hope from this and not circumstances, right? So it, it takes a mature Christian to do that, but maintaining that hope when things don't improve requires an entirely different level of maturity. And David opens up this stanza by saying, the Lord is my portion, right? That's how it begins. Thou art my portion, O Lord. Now this can be taken two ways. When your satisfaction of God rises above everything else that life offers, you could say, Lord, you are my portion. I think, well, what do you mean by that? Well, a good expression of that would be in Psalm 63, 3. It says, because of thy life, because thy life, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. David's looking at his life and he's looking at the blessings God has given him. He's looking at the way God's taking him through his childhood and, and all the things he faced in Goliath and then Saul and all the battles and he's king and everything looks good and he looks at all the blessings of God and he says, Lord, you're still better than life. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there's an attitude that expresses the Lord is my portion in comparison to the best that life can offer. Have you ever taken some time to think about how good God's been to you? Have you ever taken some time to look at this beautiful building and how the Lord has kept this church alive and growing and thriving for all these years, how he's blessed your family, how he's put food on your table, how he's given you a job, how he's kept you healthy, and you look at all the wonderful things God's given you, and then you stop to ponder this, God, you're still better. You're my portion. Like, this is good, and thank you. But as I'm thinking about it, you're better. That's one way to say, the Lord is my portion. But it can be taken two ways. And the other way would be when life offers nothing. God is still enough. Now, what determines our interpretation of David's word in verse 57 is the context. And since the psalmist reaffirms his resolution to keep God's word, I'm going to assume circumstances are still not in his favor. Look at the end of verse 56. It says this, This I had because I kept thy precepts. So David says, I have hope because I've kept thy precepts. Now, verse 57 Thou art my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep thy words. He needed hope. He put his hope in God's word. Nothing changed. And he reaffirmed, well, Lord, I don't have anything else in life, but I still have you. And I said, I would keep your words. What I believe is happening here as David writes so beautifully in this chapter, I think he's seeing a battle ahead that he wants to be prepared for. Unlike temporary struggles that we could just muscle through, this one 
had no end in sight. It had the potential to take him down. And he wanted to prepare himself for that. So he states with resolve five resolutions to overcome hardship. And I want you to notice the, the declarative statements of this, of this stanza. He says in verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Verse 59, I thought on my ways. Verse 60, I made haste. At the end of verse 61, I have not forgotten thy law. 62, I will rise to give thanks unto thee. Verse 63, I am a companion of all them. There's some declarative statements here where David's uh, uh, laying out some resolutions to get him through what lies ahead. And I'd like to give those to you tonight because they're still valuable. Five biblical resolutions to overcome hardship. And number one is this. Ask for God's Do you know what a resolution is? Maybe we should talk about that before we even talk about the resolutions. What is a resolution at all? It is a decision you make in advance, right? A firm, unmovable decision that you make in advance, a resolution, I will do this. I will think this. And the first he offers is this. Ask for God's favor. Now, I didn't promise it would be deep. But it's still true. We'll look at verse 58. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. The next time you go through a hardship with no end in sight, let me give you something you need to do. You need to ask for God's favor. Ask for God's favor. Ask. 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 You need to ask for help. Ask for favor. Well, yeah, well, won't we do that anyway? No. (laughs) We should, but we don't. Ask. Ask for God's favor. Ask. You don't have to have a reason to justify asking for mercy. Right? Look at verse 58. I entreat thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me. You don't have to have a reason to ask for mercy. Let me give you a little hint. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. So you don't have to earn the reason to ask for something that you don't need a reason for. Just ask. Just ask for mercy. Ask for God's mercy. And ask, what does it say? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. No. What about passages like in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, of whom, if his son asked bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask? Ask Him. Ask for favor. Ask for favor. 
Ask wholeheartedly. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Ask wholeheartedly. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Ask wholeheartedly for God's help when you need it. Ask and keep asking. Do you know what the word entreat means? It's continual. I entreated thy favor. It, it's continual. It's constant. It's like the parable in, Matthew, uh, or in Luke chapter 18 where the uh, widow woman came to the judge and kept on entreating him for attention. God says, ask and keep asking. Why do we need that to be a resolution? If we don't resolve to ask God for help when trials come, then we won't until we are at the end of our rope. It's almost like it's the last thing we think of. Now, I cannot speak for our women folk, but I know, generally speaking, men folk think this way. A problem comes, first thing in our mind, how do I fix it? Now, that's not a bad line of thought, but guys... I know we don't like asking for directions. I know we don't like asking for the instructions. This is one you're going to have to bend your pride on and ask. Why would you go through so much trouble in life only to find out the answer was there if you just asked for it? Do you know why we need to resolve? Do you know, no, no. A decision made in advance. A firm decision that says, I will do this when this happens. Why do we need to resolve that when a trial comes, the first thing I'm going to do is ask for God's help? Because if you don't resolve to do it, it will be the last thing you do. Ask. I know, it's not deep, but we need it. Ask. Ask for God's help. Ask. Resolution number two. Evaluate your direction. This is self-examination. Look at verse 59. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. This is very appropriate for Father's Day. Men and ladies, endurance is not a virtue until you're on the right path. Just, be, just because you got some stick with itness is not a virtue until you're heading in the right direction. And if you don't resolve to evaluate your direction, you may find yourself down the road of life far, far, far off track before you realize where you're at. You've, you've, whether it's fruits and nuts up in Seattle or the normal folk of South Dakota, we're still human beings, and I'm telling you, human nature dictates that if we don't resolve to evaluate our direction, we'll get far from God and make terrible decisions with our life. Before we have the sense enough to ask, is this my fault? Resolve to evaluate your direction. If, friend, if there's hardship in your life right now, I wouldn't ask for a show of hands, but you know if there is. If there is hardship in your life right now, your own choices ought to be the first place you look. 
You ought to be doing a self-evaluation before you blame God, before you blame your spouse, before you blame your church or your kids or your work or anything else. You ought to be asking yourself, have I made decisions that led me here? David was smart enough to know if I'm going through a trial that I don't see the end of, there's two resolutions he's come through so far. The first is ask for God's help, ask for his favor. And the second is evaluate me, evaluate my direction. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. We are too quick to blame God for our poor choices. Proverbs 16 says a lot to this. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. If there's no peace in your life from all directions, now it could be that life is hard, and it is. And until we get to heaven, there are things we're going to have to deal with due to our sin-cursed world but friend, it just may be your sin-cursed choices that got you there. Maybe you need to evaluate if your ways please the Lord. Make it a resolution. I resolve today that the next time I go through a trial, the first thing I'm going to do is to ask for God's help. And the second thing I'm going to do is to evaluate me before I evaluate my spouse, before I evaluate my pastor, before I throw critical eyes at my boss or anyone else. As Pastor Pirate says, Lord, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your heart. There is a way, Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can go on through life thinking you're making right decisions and be completely away from God until you take some time to stop like David and say in verse 59, I thought on my ways. And course correct. By the way, don't just think on them. Don't, don't just realize, yeah, it's, I guess I'm off. Get back on the right track. As it says at the end of the verse, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Don't just identify the problems, fix them. Resolution number three, remain faithful to God. Resolve the next time you go through a trial to remain faithful to God through it. Resolve that there are some things that a trial can never rob you of. Verse 60 would you read this with me? 16 and 61. I mean, listen, but it says in verse 60, I made haste. Listen, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. Resolve to remain faithful to God. The Bible says that David delayed not. Is that the words he used? I delayed not. I delayed not to keep thy commandments. There was no evaluating faithfulness in his trials. It, it wasn't as if David looked at the situation and the psalmist said to himself, man, I'm in, a, I'm in a rut. Things are terrible in my life. Let me evaluate if God is faithful to me. Let me evaluate if I want to be faithful to God. 
David said there is a time and a place to evaluate the goodness of God, and it's not right now in a trial resolved to be faithful to God. Do you know the same truth applies to your marriage? Never, ever, 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 ever make big marital decisions in a fight, in a trial. Very foolish things can come out of your mouth when you're... When you're making the decision, what you think about your marriage in the midst of a fight or a trial, resolve, friend, to not say anything until you're out of that trial. And the same is true with God. Resolve to remain faithful to God. The longer you think about your decision to keep God's word, the more likely it is that you will not be faithful to it. Resolve. No, no, listen to the words. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Don't delay to do right. Do it immediately. Delay not to keep his commandments. Resolve. In verse 61, David says this. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten. It, it, it carries the, the meaning of withered or pulled back from. It, it, it speaks of fortitude and commitment, a stick with itness. I have not forgotten thy law. You know what David's doing? He's planting his feet down. He's ready for the storm. He, he is in a spiritual storm shelter and he is resolved, I'm not going to let go of God in a trial. What would Joseph have been if in prison he evaluated the goodness of God by his circumstances? You'd never read about him. The children of Israel would have never been spared by his wisdom and how God used him to feed the world. Don't evaluate the goodness of God in the middle of a trial. Make some resolutions in your life that there's some things this world will never rob you of and one of them ought to be your faithfulness to God in a trial. Amen. Resolve. The next one's probably the hardest. Resolution number four. Resolve to thank God at all. Verse 62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. At midnight. At the very center of darkness. I don't think I need to explain why you need to have resolve to thank God at your darkest times. Because it won't come naturally. But it's never too dark to thank God. I didn't intend to mention this tonight. I thought about it and then I thought it wouldn't. But for those, I know you, none of you know us except for the Jets, but two years ago, Two days after my wife's 38th birthday, she was diagnosed with leukemia. I was out door knocking, and an oncologist called me. 
that I've never met before, never heard his name, but happened by chance to see Alyssa's blood work. And I was out, out door knocking, and, and uh, Dr. Shi called and says, Hello, my name is Dr. Shi. I've read your wife's blood work. You need to stop what you're doing right now and go straight to the emergency room with your wife. And that was about the extent of the conversation. I was shaken. I didn't even know what was going on. My wife didn't know what was going on. I told her to meet me at the hospital, and she wouldn't go till I told her who was at the hospital. And I had explained, it's not our kids, it's not our church member, and she kept on saying, well, then tell me who it is. I don't, tell me what's wrong. I said, babe, you need to go to the hospital. And within, within 30 minutes of being in that hospital, they were giving her chemotherapy drugs. And I'm telling you what, that was a dark time. It was quite surreal, and I remember at the end of the day, after being told we had leukemia, and the doctor said, had you not come in, you might have had a month, you might have had a week, but your blood was as thick as sludge. You would have died of a heart attack long before the leukemia ever got to you. And laying in bed, my wife, after all the doctors left, and it was finally time for some rest, she looked at me and said, well, what do we do now? How am I supposed to digest this? And went to Philippians and began to read how we ought to think. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So you know what we did? At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee. Because of thy You will not feel like giving thanks at the midnights of your life. You must resolve ahead of time. You will need resolve because gratefulness won't come naturally at your darkest times. But if you do, you'll get through it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In her wonderful book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom, a, a, a lady who helped to hide Jews in World War II, wrote of her time in a concentration camp, Ravensbrück, and while she and her sister Betsy were there, they experienced great atrocities, as everyone did in those concentration camps. But Betsy, as godly as Corrie Tamboom was, and if you've read anything after her, she was a godly woman. But as godly as she was, she spoke of her sister who died there as having joy that she could hardly comprehend. And she recalled the time in their barracks, and of course, 
on top of all the horrendous, horrific treatment they experienced by the Nazis. Their barracks were overcrowded by multiple times. They, they were in a barrack meant for 200 women, and there was over 600 crammed in there, and they were stacked like cordwood. And because of their tight quarters and the unclean condition, the barracks began to be infested with lice. It says there were lice everywhere, crawling over everyone, swarms of them, and laying there in complete uncomfort and filth. Betsy leaned over to Corey and said, Corey, we need to thank God for the lice. And Corey said, Betsy, I'm not thanking God for the lice. I'm drawing a line at the lice. And Corey said, but no. God's word said, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. We need to thank God for the lice. Betsy, I don't want to give thanks for the lice. And back and forth they went, and finally, Corey said, fine. You pray, and I will give thanks to, the, to God for the lice. And Betsy laid there, emaciated, starving to death, covered in lice, and said, God, I want to thank you for the lice. Little did they know that the guards had routinely gone into each of the barracks, molesting the women of each of the barracks, bringing many out randomly to kill, but there's one barrack they completely avoided because of the lice. And because there was lice in their dorm, Corey was able to begin having a Bible study. And because of that Bible study, many, many, many women got saved. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. You don't resolve to thank God ahead of time. You won't. It won't even cross your mind. But you can resolve today. You can make a resolution. God, when I go through a trial, even when I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, I promise you this, I will thank you. At my darkest hour. And finally, resolution number five, verse 63. David says this, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Resolve to keep company with others who want to persevere. Resolve to keep company with others who want to persevere. You've heard the phrase, misery loves company. I don't know what it is about human nature, but when we're going through a trial, do you know what we want? It's not for someone to tell you to suck it up and keep going. It's for someone who will lick your wounds and pity on you. That's human nature. But you will become like those you hang around. You know what's so difficult as a pastor going through a hard time? Good friends that tell me, you're going to get through it. I don't want to hear that. I want them to tell me how hard I have it. I want them to tell me that, yeah, I agree. Life is miserable. Might as well go eat worms. 
I want them to, to pity my condition. And you could do that, but you won't be coming out the other side of that trial. No, if you want to get out the other side, still faithful to God, pursuing the hope that God offers, you are going to have to resolve to keep company with others who want to persevere. If you don't resolve to do this ahead of time, then our self-pity will inevitably seek out the wrong influences. Resolve. Resolve to have the right kind of friends. Resolve to have the right kind of influences. Resolve to have people in your life that you can talk to when you're going through something that you know are going to pull you up and not down. We look at the world and man, we are overconnected, uh, overstimulated, overconnected. We have, we have friends on Facebooks into the thousands that we never actually see. But do you know how few people there are in this world that we could point to and say, if I'm going through a hardship, this is the person I know will draw me closer to God? Do you know how valuable those kinds of friends are? They're so hard to find that if you don't resolve to find them before you go through a trial, it's unlikely you'll find them in the trial. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we can pity ourselves about how few friends we have when others have the thousands of the Facebook followers or whatever the case may be. Yet if you have one godly friend who can get you out of the mire and put your feet on a rock where they belong and point you to God, friend, you've got all you need. You need godly influences in your life. Can I just ask you right now to search your soul and, and name in your heart, who would it be for you? Who would you go for? Who would you talk to? Do you have someone? Do you have a friend like David had Jonathan? Do you have someone to talk to? I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And you know what happens in the end? This is the good part. You made it to the end. Because perseverance pays off. What were we persevering for? Look at verse 58. What were we persevering for? Here's David. He needs what? It starts with an H. What does he need? Hope. He's going through a hard time. He needs hope. It says in verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Okay, what kind of hope did he need? Specifically, he needed mercy. Right? He, he's, he's going through a hopeless time. He needs God's mercy. And what does it say at the end? Verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. <laughs> the, wait a minute. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Wait a minute. The earth is full of thy mercy? He can't find it anywhere. So he's pursuing God with all of his heart. And then he gets to the end and he says, wait a minute. The earth is full of it. What's going on here? The earth is full of it. There is more than enough mercy to be had for everyone. The earth is full of God's mercy. It's everywhere. 
Everywhere you can go, it can be found. The earth is full of it. Then why would God make us endure to find it? If his mercy is everywhere to be found, then please tell me, why are there times that we go through in life where we cannot seem to find it anywhere? If it's everywhere. Well, the last part of the verse explains, teach me thy statutes. Sometimes we have to go through the trial because God has something to teach us. God is not going to tear you down. That's not his purpose. But we rarely learn his statutes without some refining fires. I wish it weren't so. I wish we could grow without it. I wish we would follow God as much in the good times as in the hard times. But we're sinners. And God in his love knows when He knows when we need to pursue his mercy, even when it's everywhere to be found. Because there are some things we won't learn any other way. Some people look at David. How many have ever looked at David and said, I wish I had the faith like David? David goes through a hard time. His, His own men want to turn against him. And the Bible says he encourages himself in the Lord. Have you ever read that? Like, how did he do that? Right? How did he do that? Wish I had faith like David. My mom was that way. My mom was the godliest woman I've ever known. She died of cancer at 42, and I always wondered, she's a pastor's wife, a wonderful mom, and I always wondered if, if the persona of a walk with God was real until I saw her go through cancer herself and fight it down to her last breath And not only did she remain faithful to God, but she grew closer to God in her death than any other time in her life. It was real right down to the end. And many people look at my mom and think the same. How did she do that? Man, I wish I had the faith of Kathy Farinella. I wish I had the faith of David. Wouldn't it be cool to have the fortitude to be able to encourage yourself in the Lord as if it's a character trait. As if like some people are blessed with it and others are not. Friend, you want to have a walk with God like that? It takes resolve. You're going to have to make some decisions ahead of time. You're going to have to decide to ask for God's favor. You're going to have to decide to evaluate your direction. You're going to have to decide ahead of time to remain faithful to God, to thank God at all times, and to keep company with those who want to persevere And you'll discover something. Those with faith like David have it because they pursued it with resolve. Will you resolve to overcome hardships with the tools God has given us in his word? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.